Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Another Q&A in the can. A couple topics covered. What's a cult? And you might be surprised to see the everyday cults that we might be in. The $10 million business idea of the week. The hypocrisy of the day. What business I would start if I was 22 years old and starting from scratch and much more. Give us feedback if you like these Q&A podcasts and see you tomorrow. Depressing. Because after three months of lockdown with no hope in sight and now who knows, everyone's talking in the media about new surges, which I will dispute in a second. Who knows how long lockdowns will stay for different industries. We're checking out Florida. For three days in a row, we ate out inside a restaurant for the first time in three months. Did you enjoy your experience in a restaurant? Yeah, I did. I think you like restaurants more than I do, actually. Yeah. What do you like about restaurants? I don't have to cook. And I don't have to clean up. But we never really cooked. But yes. But I still clean up. Yes. <laughs> you did. <laughs> guilty. I am guilty of that. Um, in in restaurants is an amazing thing we went out people were there we talked to people we socialized i think it's important to realize that restaurants and cafes performed a valuable service throughout history which is that's the way people would get together and discourse i don't think people realize in in amsterdam in paris and even in new york city the original stock exchanges were in cafes. Like people would go to the cafe and trade securities of companies or trade securities of commodities. And there's an there's an importance to cafes for people getting together and exchanging ideas. This is how innovation develops. This is why moving to cities and urban areas were so important so people could have business opportunities and they would find these business opportunities not in the office because there was no such thing as office buildings but in the cafes, office buildings, I don't know if you ever realize this, office buildings weren't really invented until the early 1900s. What was the catalyst that created office buildings? Steel. Hmm? Steel. Steel is a good answer, but not correct. <laughs> the catalyst was air conditioning. So air conditioning allowed off high rises because heat rises. So in the summers, Office, you know, if you had a building that was too high, you couldn't work in it. It would be like 120 degrees. So air conditioning on the higher floors allowed people to work in high rises. And uh, that's what created essentially the vertical city. It was, it's what catapulted New York City to, to even greater prominence. L.A., Dallas, Chicago, London, Paris. And actually, the air conditioning is what urbanized the South. So the South, you know, unfortunately was was filled after the civil war was filled with 
basically destroyed and burnt out homes and plantations and so on. So the South was gone as an economic center until air conditioning allowed people to move to the South and work in high, in, in, you know, higher buildings and more expensive buildings and created more opportunities and businesses and so on. And in uh, New York, the pre-war buildings, um, they all the, the top floors were for the, you know, help. Yeah, so in residential pre-war in residential buildings. pre-war, right, because the heat rose and the people, yeah. So, so normally you would think, normally you would think of the top floor in a building in New York City is the penthouse, right. and that's what would cost the most money. But actually in many pre-war residential buildings in New York City, the, the smallest apartments in the building are on the top floor because there was no air conditioning when they were built, like our building was built in 1884. Mm-hmm. So the smallest apartments, and this reminds me of the che- when I lived in the Chelsea Hotel on 23rd Street, which no longer exists, unfortunately, um, that also was built in the 1880s. The top floor, the 10th floor, was the smallest apartments because those were the hottest in the 1800s. Nobody wanted to live there. And so that's where the help lived in these buildings and so on. Now, of course, with air conditioning, it's those the are the nice penthouses, the most expensive. And in office buildings, you want to be, it's, a, it's kind of a, an example of status if you're on the 100th floor, the top floor of an office building. Mm-hmm. Air conditioning is what revolutionized innovation and opportunity because more and more people were able to, you basically, a single office building in New York City is almost like a vertical city. Like there could be up to 10,000 people, which is bigger than my hometown that I grew up in. There could be up to 10,000 people who lived, who, who worked in an office building. The more people kind of mushed together, the, the more opportunities would exist. Ideas only happen when people exchange, you know, have opportunity to exchange those ideas. So I don't know if I ever talked about how um, Google started. So we've, of course, I've talked many times about Google and the Google technique, but, you know, Google started off because this one grad student, Larry Page, had this idea of how to you know, it used to be the original search engines. If you were searching for, um, you know, motorcycles, you, you know, the search engine would basically send this, what's called a spider on every web page, And the spider would bring all the pages back into a database and it would categorize each page by, by what were the most frequently used words on that page. So if motorcycle was used a lot on a website, then that would rank high on the first uh, search engine. So what, what were some of the first search engines? The Internet World Wide Web Worm, uh, Galaxy uh, EINet, uh, I forget the full URL, but it was called the Galaxy Search Engine, um, uh, Excite, Lycos, uh, and so on, Alta Vista. And then Google changed the algorithm completely. So Google would basically rank a page high if other high-ranking pages link to it. So what, so, so for instance, if I had a high-ranking, if the New York Times linked to my page uh, and I had the word James or James Altucher a lot on my page and the New York Times linked to it, then my page would rank high, because the New York Times already ranked high, my page would rank high for James Altucher because the New York Times was linking to me. And so where did Larry Page get this idea? Well, it's an example of idea sex. So academics, an academics paper, an academic is usually ranked, I forgot the exact name for it, but an academic is ranked higher than another academic if other high academics refer to them in their research papers. And so academics, you know, professors and scientists check all day long what their ranking is, you know, how many other scientists are, are, that are high ranking also are linking to me. So Larry Page merged the idea of the search engine with this idea of how scientists were ranking their own status, and he made Google. And now, there was another young man who at the exact same time in New York City was using the same algorithm to, uh, to rank pages, and he actually patented the algorithm first. And he was an employee at a little-known company called The Wall Street Journal, and he begged the Wall Street Journal. He said, this is the way to do search engines. We will make the biggest search engine in the world if we use this technique. And the Wall Street Journal said, nah, we're not really that interested. The search engine business is failing. So he quit the Wall Street Journal 
and he moved to China. Larry Page and Sergey Brin, who were working together, Sergey Brin was like, oh, this is a great idea, Larry. They were working together and they, they, they modified the idea, they improved it, they made Google. Uh, they called it Backrub. The original name, you know the original <laughs> name of Google was called Backrub? Yeah, so the original Google search engine in 1996 was called Backrub. <laughs> Meanwhile, this what happened to this employee at the Wall Street Journal? Well, he his name was Robin Lee, and he moved to China, and he created Baidu. So Baidu, the Baidu search engine, has the same underlying patent and algorithm as the Google search engine. It's an interesting little piece of history, but it kind of goes along with the idea that idea, idea sex is such an important method in your toolbox for generating ideas. Uh, you know, just like yesterday, we were talking about what would be a good idea for comfortable pajamas. By the way, I'm wearing a new pair of pajamas. <laughs> Again, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm wearing my pajamas for, for four weeks in a row. And so we combine the idea of comfortable pajamas with the way outerwear is designed with your ideas of copper. So here's this. Here, here's this thing we just bought. Robin just bought this. It's called Copper Touch, and it's a little thing. And this pamphlet is all about scientists have known for many years that copper carries microbial germ-killing power. So if you just touch this copper thing, we bought this, so who knows? But uh, but combining the idea of copper-infused fiber with outerwear pajamas, then maybe this is a good fashion line. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to try it. You could try it too, we'll compete. So I wanted to, uh, we'll answer questions in a second. Jay will send uh, the IG Live link, or actually I have it here, let me just reload it. Uh, by the way, we're in a new room. We don't have to be in the same room all the time. I hope you like the background. And- um, It's a lot cooler in here. If you're, if you're in Miami, let us know. Maybe we'll all have a, a meetup or something. Uh, That'd be fun. So what's going on right now with coronavirus? All the media is talking about a second surge. And I had an argument, which is really a real, you know this is, a be, this is going nowhere when someone starts off a sentence. I was having an argument on Twitter. That is, that is a, the instant you should turn away. But I was having an argument on, twi on Twitter and I said, look, it doesn't look like there's a surge. Like if you look at US hospitalizations across the whole country, they're down, they're at the lowest point since this whole thing started. So, okay, people said, oh, but cases are up. And I said, yeah, but this is what everybody's saying. But if there's more testing, there's gonna be more cases. So, and we already know that 80% of cases are asymptomatic. And then another huge percentage of cases out of that, maybe another 80% of the 20% that's left, they, they get mild colds. And then a tiny, tiny percentage uh, sadly end up getting severe symptoms and a tiny percentage of that end up dying. Did you know in terms of deaths per million, the US is ranked about 10th. You know who we're tied with is South Korea. So Italy, Spain, France, the United Kingdom, so many countries have more deaths per million than the United States. And if you take out New York City, we would be almost nowhere on the list. So when people say there's a new, new surge coming, I don't even know what that means. Does that mean, I don't know. Does that mean a healthcare system? You know, somebody was saying to me, well, the Arizona hospitals were getting full. And I looked at the data of hospitalizations in Arizona. There was a spike. And by the way, I'll admit when I'm wrong. I think a key to intellectual honesty is to admit when you're wrong. So I said, oh yeah, it looked like there was a spike in Arizona two weeks ago, but now it's back down to what it was lower than before. So Arizona had a spike probably about 10 to 15 days after they reopened. And I don't know how, why it had a spike, uh, but then it went immediately straight down. And so there isn't a spike anymore, but, uh, and you know, people were saying we're in Florida right now, people saying there's a spike in Florida. I looked at the data. Yes, there's more cases, but there's also more testing. And you could see this at the various websites. And, but daily new hospitalizations are still trending lower. Texas, people said there's a spike in Texas. No, they've been trending lower and lower every week. Some days are high, some days are low, but overall it's been trending lower. I'm not sure why everyone insists 
I'm proving me wrong. I'm, per- I'm perfectly happy to admit when there's a spike, but you don't, this is such a dangerous territory. Lives are at stake. If you say there's a spike and there's no data for it, but everyone gets scared, first off, the mental health of the country gets scared. And I see these headlines all the time, spike in surging in cases. If you're wrong about that, you're getting everyone stressed. You're, you're making people think the healthcare system is might be not able to handle the new spike, but there is no spike across the country. If anything, I'd be worried about a spike in New York City right now because for better or for worse, 50,000 protesters gathered and every single day, and there's certainly gonna be some kind of spike because there's obviously no social distancing. Like you can't have social distancing and masks and lockdowns here and then down the street, 50,000 protests, protesters organized. By the way, I'm fine with the protesters organizing. We went to a protest, peaceful, everything, whatever. So if there's a spike, hopefully it'll be among the people that are uh, get the mild cold version. And there's some evidence to suggest that the mutation of the coronavirus has gotten weaker and weaker, but I can't attest for that. There's no pot data one way or the other. The other thing is in Seattle, in Seattle, there's uh, uh, what they're calling the Chaz zone. I don't, I forget what Chaz stands for, but um, you know, the protesters have, have taken over a 10 block radius in Seattle and have made it an autonomous zone. And again- For what purpose, by the way? Um, I don't know, actually. They haven't really suggested what they want, but here's the thing. Wherever you're sitting, we're sitting here in Florida, maybe you're sitting in New York City, Texas, LA, who cares if Seattle has an autonomous region? Like, uh, the Seattle mayor seems fine with it. She said power to them, they're peacefully protesting. We've heard from people in the region that there doesn't seem to be any violence. Now, um, I, you know, in the newspaper, you might see, oh, there's armed guards. I don't know. That doesn't seem like a good thing. Donald Trump has said, you know, maybe they send in the military. Everybody, I, I, I don't care if somebody's for or against Trump or Biden. I am not for either. They both seem, it doesn't seem to matter that much to me, but people say you can't use the National Guard or the military against U.S. citizens. And I sort of agree that I hope we shouldn't, but people forget the history of the National Guard in 19, in January, 1963, President John F. Kennedy assigned the National Guard, called up the National Guard to go to Alabama and escort a young African-American girl to school because Governor George Wallace of Alabama, who stood in front of, and he tried to block the National Guard, he refused to let this African-American girl go to school at what was considered a white school, what George Wallace considered to be a white school. So that's horrible. And the Alabama um, police were not willing to escort this girl. So President John F. Kennedy used the military and used the National Guard he called it in against U.S. citizens, against Governor George Wallace, who is the governor of the state, who supposedly is in charge of the state National Guard. John F. Kennedy ordered the National Guard to escort this young lady to school. And it's important to remember the history of these things. Like when I hear people say, you can't do that, you can't use the National Guard against U.S. citizens, that's actually been the only use of the National Guard in history. So let's not forget that the National Guard is used often to protect the Constitution and to protect the rights of the members of society. And I don't know what's going to happen with the Seattle thing. By the way, peaceful protesting still seems to be continuing, and I think it should continue. I think it's building awareness among our kids. Every kid is sort of finding the issues that are important to them. Power to them. Let them figure out reforms. They're the, they're the younger generation that's going to bring things, you know, to the next generation, hopefully bring about a more peaceful era. I will say, and I've talked about before, the reforms that are most important to me is what, what do not just African-Americans, but what do people in the bottom one third of society want the most? They want a job. So the most important reform to me is get rid of occupational licensing for blue collar jobs. 
There's no reason a manicurist needs to go to cosmetology school and then pay the state of California a huge fee to um, uh, uh, get a job when he or she has been doing it all their lives. And California has blue collar licensing on over 177 different occupations. The average for a US state is 92. It just seems ridiculous. So I would reform that. I would also immediately release all nonviolent drug offenders. The US, since Nancy Reagan, the US has spent a trillion dollars on the war on drugs and we lost. We're legal. I mean, this is the hypocrisy of the day is that right now, marijuana, I can get a pres medical prescription for marijuana and there's a half a million people in jail around the country in jail for using marijuana. So that is so hypocritical. If, yeah. if, if all you did was reform hypocrisy, we would have such a better country. Reform hypocrisy should be the motto. And it has nothing to do with who's the president, by the way. I don't know where Trump stands on marijuana legalization. Biden has been against marijuana legalization. Marijuana right now, they want to do testing. If you want to get into a good business, marijuana is the business to get into because there's going to be pharma testing, pharmaceutical testing on marijuana for epilepsy, for anxiety. Marijuana is great to help you sleep. You can, you know, the pharmaceutical companies would prefer you take Xanax or Klonopin, which are highly addictive drugs, and but they help people with anxiety disorders to get to sleep. Marijuana is even more effective in many cases, but if you're already addicted to Klonopin, you're screwed. I happen to be addicted to Klonopin for the past 10 years. I reduce all the time. It has no effect on my anxiety levels, but if I don't take even the tiniest sliver of Klonopin that has no use on, for me at all, I will not be able to sleep. I'll have nightmares. It'll, I'll get sick and so on. I'm physically addicted. I have been since 2010 and I've been reducing since 2011. And it's just a slow thing I mean, to get off. I don't off think of. marijuana is addicting either. Marijuana is not addicting. And as far as anybody it's knows, nobody natural. has died of a marijuana overdose. No one, as far as anyone knows, no one's died of a marijuana overdose or an LSD overdose. Two drugs that should be immediately legal and Johns Hopkins on LSD. John, Johns Hopkins right now is doing serious academic research on the use of uh, LSD and ecstasy for depression. Um, there's studies being done on marijuana for epilepsy. We know marijuana is good for uh, uh, alleviating the symptoms of chemotherapy and uh, right, for, for, for chemotherapy and, and marijuana is useful. So I once interviewed Floyd Landis. Floyd Landis was the Tour de France winner in 2006. And Floyd Landis was also the guy who exposed Lance Armstrong for doping. So uh, Floyd Landis lost his Tour de France medal and so did Lance Armstrong because of Floyd Landis. Floyd Landis and Lance Armstrong, fair to say, hate each other's guts. But Floyd Landis got addicted after all the doping and after all the injuries of being an athlete, Floyd Landis got addicted to uh, painkillers, to opiates. And in order to get off of the addiction to opiates, he started using marijuana. Marijuana was great. Uh, 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 Corbalicious says LSD doesn't deserve its bad reputation. I agree with you. I used, I've used in my life LSD once. So I'm 52 years old right now. I used LSD when I was 22. So 30 years ago, almost to the day. It was in the summer when I was 22. LSD, one use, and I'm not recommending using it. It was really intense, but one use, and it's like it changed my life. Before I used LSD, I wanted to be a professor of computer science. That was my only life goal. After I used LSD, all of a sudden, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write fiction, and I wanted to write nonfiction. It changed my life. So suddenly, I went from being only interested in computer science to having these computer software skills, but wanting to be a writer, and I've been writing every day since that moment. Never used it again. I don't encourage people to use it, but I'm really curious. I do think it should be legal, and I do think everyone in jail, which is, by, by the way, mostly African-Americans, everyone in jail for LSD or marijuana use should be immediately released, and they should get voting rights restored. By the way, whatever president restores their voting rights is gonna get reelected or elected. So. It's up to the president to decide. I, I don't know where anybody stands on, on these issues. So so it does say that marijuana, one out of 10 people become addicted to, to it if they use it. That's what the CDC says. 
but uh, that's the CDC. We know right. they've been wrong I mean, about everything. Exactly. But what? But the point is, is that so is alcoholism. You know, so is you know being an alcoholic. So are these klonopin drugs that you know are un unhealthy. So I guess most things are addictive, but but maybe it you know it's better than klonopin. Maybe it's better than yeah. alcohol. Yeah, maybe but but, but like klonopin is controlled, and I hate to be conspiracy theorist, but klonopin is controlled by the pharmaceutical course, industry. Yeah. So when I get an order of, because I don't have insurance, when I get an order of just like 20 or 30 Klonopin pills mm -hmm. filled, mm -hmm. uh, it costs me like almost $500. So marijuana, you could get, I don't know, months and months of supply for a fraction of that. Mm -hmm. So, and particularly imagine if insurance covered it, if it had medicinal use for anxiety, you don't get addicted, it would sugar's be cheaper. Sugar's addictive too. Yeah, sugar's addictive. Klonopin's <laughs> amazingly addictive though. it doesn't matter. Like I started taking, in 2010, I don't know, I was having some problems, some issues. I don't even know why I was fully anxious. And I went to the, the psychiatrist and he said to me, James, how can I help you? And I said, there's nothing you can do to help me. I said, the only way you could help me is if you write me a check for a million dollars. And he laughed and he said, well, I bet you if I wrote you a check for a million dollars, that probably would not help you. And he was right, but he was wrong in another way. He, prescribed to me four milligrams a day of clonopin. And it was like a miracle drug. Like almost instantly, I stopped being as anxious and I was able to sleep for the first time in years. I was able to have an eight hour a night sleep. But then I was not as anxious and I started to do better career wise. So just in a few months, I said, oh, I'm done. I'll stop using the clonopin. One day went by and I'm like, this is great. I'm more creative than ever. I have more energy than ever. Two days went by, I was having daymares and I was twitching and I couldn't sleep and I called the doctor and he's like oh yeah you have to reduce slowly and every I would reduce it was no longer working for me once you start reducing it doesn't work anymore except for the addictive qualities and so I started reducing I'm still reducing I'm at now I'm at a half a milligram a day I every time I try to go to a quarter or a zero I have nightmares again so I'm still 10 years later I'm still addictive to this massively addicted addictive drug that was only useful for me for about eight weeks. So that's just a confession. I confess it. But um, I want to, you know, the other thing I want to talk about is, uh, and then we'll get to the question of the day. So I talked about the hypocrisy of the day, which is that we spent a trillion dollars on the war on drugs, and yet it's actually ruined. It's not only that a trillion dollars we could have spent elsewhere, it's ruined the entire system. And now and now marijuana use is decriminalized all over the country and is a, 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 essentially a, a healthy drug. You know why marijuana was illegal? In the 1920s, they banned marijuana and alcohol. Well, white people drank alcohol more and African-Americans smoked pot more. So when prohibition ended, they made alcohol legal, but not marijuana. And I'm not, this is not an African-American issue. This is an everybody issue. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people 
who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? Well, with almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise dedicated to shaping brighter futures for both students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and their proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See Hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I want to bring up one other thing. I sort of feel like with all this coronavirus stuff, like yesterday, I posted all these charts that showed how state by state, we were not surging and the country was not surging. And even the country compared to other countries, even South Korea, South Korea is like a model of how a country that dealt with coronavirus, deaths per million were exactly the same. We're actually less, slightly less than South Korea. Amazing, right? And, and so everybody was like, no, 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 we're surging. I hope. And then somebody tweeted to me this really obnoxious thing. This guy followed me and he tweeted, um, he, he, he tweeted, I hope nobody in your family dies. I didn't know you were such a Republican. And then I wrote to him, since when does death have a political party? Like, I don't, I am not a Republican. Uh, the only time I ever voted in my life, I, I usually say I've never voted. But I voted once for city council in 2004. 
I don't know what I was registered at. It was a city council and, and only 61 people voted. And the guy, my next door neighbor, he won by one vote. So I'm glad I voted. My vote mattered then. And two days later, the IRS, for the first time in 17 years, sent me a letter. So I never voted again after that. But I'm not, I'm not anything. I care more about the success of my family and my friends and, you know, you guys. And it doesn't, you know, it, I've never really seen any big difference. You know, W put us into war. Maybe I'm wrong. W put us into all these wars that were horrible, so I can't stand that. Obama kept us in these wars. Clinton could have avoided the wars, maybe, if he wasn't so busy being impeached. You know, Reagan was a criminal with Iran-Contra. Uh, Carter uh, let let Iran take our hostages, 52 hostages, and, 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 you know, Ford pardoned Nixon. Nixon was a criminal. Lyndon Baines Johnson escalated Vietnam. John F. Kennedy started Vietnam and cheated on his wife constantly. All of these presidents are bad. You can only kind of trust a local candidate that you get to know personally. But I started to wonder, like, why do people just their gut reflex is to just respond negatively if you're trying to put out, I wasn't even giving opinion. I was just saying, here's the chart, make of it what you will. And people would suddenly associate my charts with being a Republican. So a friend of mine told me, look up what a cult is. What, what are the key factors of a cult? And, and so let's think about it. What the first key factor of a cult, like let's take Scientology or any, you know, the, the Moonies or any cult that you could think of. The first key factor, Jehovah's Witnesses could be considered a cult or a religion. I don't know. The first key factor is a specialized vocabulary. So you ever notice all of a sudden when this coronavirus start, stuff started happening is that everyone became an expert on viral shedding and everyone became an expert on uh, uh, hydroxy. I never even heard the word hydroxychloroquine before. Everyone that became suddenly, you know, a bad word if you were on one side of the cult, a good word if you were on the other side. Uh, uh, so think of all the words you've learned uh, in the, like, you know, right now, uh, there's all these words associated with the protest. Like, look at J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling is getting in trouble for her views. I don't even know if we'll understand her views on transgender. Her only point is, is that there should be still a role for biologically born women to express their need for rights. If, a, if it, it, you know, it's still an issue that a man, I, like I, her point, J.K. Rowling's point is, is that a man like me can't just simply say that he's a woman and go into the woman's bathroom, that women need to have rights in that. Uh, so she's called a TERF, a trans exclusionary radical feminist. And it's, she's, a, she's considered a radical feminist because she's focusing on the rights of biologically born women. And she's being, her books are being burned now, which is insane. Right, but even, but think about specialized vocabulary. What the hell is a turf? And so again, um, and then, you know, L, B, G, Q, X, Y, Z, plus like all these things have become like these new words that you have to learn to kind of virtue signal that you're on in the team. And so I'm not saying, you know, that everybody is wrong on either side. It's just don't be a cult. Because the, the, the key to innovation, the key to progress is dialogue. And if you start burning J.K. Rowling, um, who, who she explains in her essay why she got interested in this, it's much different than what people think. If you start burning the books of J.K. Rowling and not listening to her, you, you, you're, it's like you're in a cult because you can't have dialogue. So the next, the next area of a cult is levels and circles of achievement. So let me ask you, Robin, you were raised as a Jehovah Witness. Mm -hmm. Were there levels of Jehovah's Witnesses? Yes. So like, what was the lowest level? What was the first level? Like an initiate or? No, I don't know. They, they don't have that. They just have, like, if you're like in the church, you know, there's levels of authority in the church. So it's not like. Right, so there's like a priest, a bishop, an yeah, archbishop. They don't call it that, but yeah. Something but they have like names that. for that? Mm -hmm. I so, can't remember their name. Well, in Scientology, you're, you're, I think there's circles or levels. 
So you're clear, like if you're in the 12th level and you're an initiate, if you're like in the first level or the first circle. So if you want to start a cult, start a specialized vocabulary. And by the way, L. Ron Hubbard knew this. So L. Ron Hubbard wrote this book, Dianetics. He created this special vocabulary. There was all this uh, jargon around the aliens who visited the earth and gave us Scientology and so on. And you were quote, quote unquote clear if you were at a certain level. And then there was levels of achievement. So first level, second level, third level. So, you know, look at, um, you know, what JK Rowling is putting up with. She's not quite a feminist. She's a trans exclusionary radical feminist. So there are levels of, you know, whatever area you're in, even work, okay? Even if you work at Google, for, or when I worked at HBO, there was a junior programmer, there was a senior programmer, there was a director of programmers, there was a manager of programmers, there was a VP, senior VP, executive VP. So look at all the levels and circles of achievement. I'll say even in the comedy world, okay, first you're an open micer, then you're passed at open mic clubs, then you know, you're able to do, you're able to do um, the, the early spots in a, a comedy show. Then you're able to fill uh, clubs with tickets. Then you're able, so you're a headliner. Then you're able to be a headliner at, at theaters. Then you're able to be a headliner at stadiums. So every hierarchy has elements of a cult. And if you want to achieve status in life, you have to remove yourself. This is part of skipping the line. You have to remove yourself from the cult. So there's two parts of a cult. First, specialized vocabulary, then levels, circles of achievement. Then what's the third level? Sacred texts. So in Scientology, of course, there was, um, you know, Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard. I don't know if there was a sacred text in Jehovah's Witnesses. Not that I was aware of. There was, there was no text outside the Bible? Oh, well, yeah, they had books. Yeah, they had their own books. Like what was an example book in the Jehovah's Witnesses? The Truth Book. Is that what it was called? The truth book? I think so. So, okay. There, is, so long. there are sacred texts. So that's another uh, way. Uh, I guess you're right. And by the way, in the cult of a job, there's the employee handbook. The employee handbook tells you what you're allowed to wear. No pajamas at work. Your employee handbook tells you who you can talk to. Don't say X, Y, and Z to members of the opposite sex. There are, there's, uh, it's uh, so complicated. Yeah. So, so, so specialized vocabulary, circles of achievement, sacred texts. The watchtower, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, the Watchtower is a sacred text. Watchtower and Awake. Then in a cult, there's a charismatic leader. So in a company, it might be, you know, you look at Theranos. That was a cult. Elizabeth Holmes was the charismatic leader at the top of it. Mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witness, I'm sure the head of that is a charismatic leader. Um, in Scientology, there was a cult leader, L. Ron Hubbard. I will tell you, when I was in seventh and eighth grade, I, for a short time, joined a cult that was about meditation. It was called Ekinkar. And there was the senior Ek whatever, and that was a charismatic leader. Then there was um, the, ex the next level of a cult is you can expel the apostates. So people who right. rose up in the cult, but who somehow got disconnected. So- You get disfellowshipped. Oh, and Jehovah's Witness? Yeah. So obviously in the Catholic church, this happens. And I'm not saying anything against Catholicism. This also happens, you know, at General Electric, when Jack Welch created one, you know, Jeff, he made Jeff Immelt the CEO, all the other potential CEOs were thrown out. They were expelled. Mm -hmm. So, and look at cancel culture right now. Cancel culture, you know, if a comedian says the wrong, like Jimmy Fallon was almost at danger of being expelled. Colin Kaepernick was expelled. Uh, uh, so, you know, so, so always be careful when people are expelled for something they say or do that has nothing to do with their talent or skill, then that could be, you could be near a cult. So right now, if you, like I noticed this once, if I wrote, I made a tweet, oh, people should check out hydroxychloroquine. The reason I said that is because there were studies showing hydroxychloroquine was safe. It's the WHO has listed it as one of the 12 safest drugs over the past 60 years. Robin, when she was in Africa, she took, she and her family took hydroxychloroquine every day as a prophylaxis for malaria. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, but if you are suddenly expelled for, you know, I, when I started talking about hydroxychloroquine, somebody texted me, Hey, don't say that. That's what Trump has been saying. I didn't know that. I said, but what if this helps cure people? And another person even told me, Hey, James, just so you know, if you ever come down with coronavirus, 
call my ER doctor. He's my friend. He told you and told me, don't go to the hospital. He'll write you a prescription for hydroxychloroquine. That's what helps people. So I said, okay, thanks. And so I tweeted something like that. And my friend wrote me, no, no, no. It's that's a Trump issue. We cannot tell people about hydroxychloroquine. And, but if you look at a chart, so I looked at a chart the other day, every single country, India, all African countries, some other countries, every single country that regularly uses hydroxychloroquine as a prophylaxis for malaria, they have far fewer deaths per million than the United States, which doesn't use hydroxychloroquine. So I don't know if that means hydroxychloroquine is good or bad. We do know under medical supervision, it's safe. So, but it's interesting to see that data, but I was in danger of being expelled from whatever cult my friend was in by using the word hydroxychloroquine. Um, So uh, the next level of a cult is aggression against near believers. So, so for instance, if, if a group of the cult spins off and starts their own version of the cult, these are the most evil people possible. In fact, you should even have aggression or violence against them. So there's been many spinoffs of Scientologists. By the way, there's been many spinoffs of the Catholic Church. Or imagine if a, a, a group leaves Google and tries to, uh, well, actually when Microsoft, when Kai-Fu Lee left Microsoft China to, to join Google China, Microsoft sued him. So he was a high up near believer in Microsoft he left Microsoft China to start Google China and they were aggressive against him. They sued him. And so again, always watch out. Companies could be cults also. By the way, this could be positive and negative. If you want to start a cult, these are the things you should do. And then finally, there's arcane rituals. So in the, I don't, in the Jehovah's Witnesses, what's an arc, example of an arcane ritual? I don't think they really had one. How do you get married in a Jehovah's Witness? This is normal. So it's like how a priest would says, do you take this? Yeah. There's no, there's like a baptism. There's nothing. Uh -uh. What makes you a top Jehovah's Witness? I don't know. I guess just, you know, uh, oh, I guess you had to go door to door and like they they track your hours. Maybe that's, I I don't really know because I was a child and I left. Well, think about, think about, so, so in Scientology, as you move from like the third circle to the fourth circle, you have, and as you start to get more and more clear, the arcane ritual is you go in a room filled with other people and you have to tell them all of your deepest, darkest truths, which is how later on they're able to blackmail you so you don't leave the cult. So, but you could imagine in a corporate cult, you know, imagine these executive getaways where you go off bonding in the woods and, you know, you do all these corporate bonding games. It's like an arcane ritual in a corporate cult. So if you're thinking of starting a cult, this is the best technique to do it. Um, I didn't answer and, any questions. And, and, and what's kind of weird is like, I think a lot of people don't go to church. I mean, I, there are a lot of people still that go to church, but not as much, you know, as they used to maybe. And uh, do you think that maybe people are using their, you know, their party, their uh, political party as a, a type of, control because like religion was really based to control the masses. So I'm wondering if that's kind of switched over to maybe rather than religion, it's more a political that, uh, party. That's a, a really great point because there's there's religion and then with the decline of religion in the past 50 years, yeah. there's secular religion. So right. look at look at any political party, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. You are not allowed to disagree at right. all. Like, look, in the Republican side, Mitt Romney disagreed with Trump and he's an apostate now. Right. They all, all Republicans hate him. In the Democratic Party, uh, you know, the Democratic Party's kind of being taken over by the uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wing, which is more cult-like. It feels like if you don't use yeah. the exact right politically correct words, you're canceled. You right. know, if you're a comedian, you're canceled. And so these, these secular religions, if you don't believe it, like, who believes in any one groups 100% of everything they say? Yeah, like, for instance, right. I believe in some things on the Democratic Party and some things on the Republican Party. It used to be normal to be liberal on social issues and conservative on economic issues. But now you would be an apostate if you were that way. Right. So you're either on the Republican side, you have to be for guns and for lowering taxes. Yeah. And on the Democratic side, you have to be, you know, pro-choice, which 
I am. And you have to be for, for raising taxes, maybe for a UBI, who knows? So now, you know, you have to look at now religion and how it formed, like it started with the, you know, the religion uh, of kings and then, and then they broke off to another religion and then another religion because not all religions can make, you know, everyone happy. So they have different sectors of that particular religion. But a long time ago, you know, that's sort of what kept people together really uh, was the religion, you know? So I'm wondering, and then it created a lot of wars, right? All these other religions created wars. So <clears throat> it's kind of weird because maybe that's the division that's happening right now. Yeah, well, I never really definitely. And it's the, you know, being a Democrat or being a Republican, I don't think is a cult, but going alt-right or alt-left, yeah. that does seem to, you know, again, specialized vocabulary, circles of achievement, sacred texts, a charismatic leader, expulsion <laughs> of apostates, uh, aggression against the near believers and arcane rituals. So yeah. just imagine every area, like humans need hierarchy. And so people create these artificial hierarchies called cults. They need to be in a group. Right. And people want acceptance. And so, and you like it when you, you your dopamine gets activated, mm -hmm. when you move up the levels. Oh, the, the charismatic leader likes me more because I just went from the third level to the fourth level. And I went from the sixth yeah. level to the seventh level. And there's a ritual that happens. Like I was blindfolded and bathed in blood and whatever. And so my point is, is that maybe this needs to happen. We need to have definitely more parties, not just two, because two really doesn't encompass everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage people to listen to my podcast with um, Spike Cohen. I love that name. Spike Cohen is uh, 37 years old. Uh, young guy, lives in South Carolina, he's got multiple sclerosis, so he actually has been pretty uh, nervous about coronavirus, but he's the vice presidential candidate, the national candidate for the Libertarian Party. I didn't know if I, uh, if I would like him or not, I didn't know too much about Libertarians, but he explained it to me, and it was all common sense. But yes, there's a need for third, fourth, fifth parties. Yeah. The problem is, it's impossible in New York State to be on the national ballot for president. You need 250,000 signatures. So it's impossible to get that with millions of, without millions of dollars. You gotta hire people to collect all these signatures. That's stupid too, right? I mean, yeah, of course. To, you know, it costs that much to do something like this. But maybe now, maybe things will change. You know, it seems like every, it's like a deck of cards that have been thrown up and now, I don't know, anything goes. Maybe, maybe it'll be it, a time to really, but we'll see who, who the Democrats or Republicans don't want to reform that, right? Well, of so, course, but they, but we people are in charge of that. Right, but we're, so if, I don't want to be a Republican. I don't want to be a Democrat. But I, I think, I think we're all rare. Like we're, we're, I think the key I is. I don't know, are we? Because I think maybe people are afraid to really express how they really feel um, because they're afraid to be you know, expelled, expelled yeah. from either group or have violence they, against they them. They want to be accepted. So, but I think that if we all individually stand up and say, look, I don't like either one of you guys and I want to do something different, but we all have to do it together. Well, and look, and this is not about, we were at the protests. There was peaceful protests happening. We listened to people. There are good reforms that are needed, but look at yesterday. There was this video of all these celebrities who live in Malibu saying, you know, and they all, put, you know, the black square on their Instagram. But really what, if I were to translate that, I, I would really say they're all saying, please don't burn down my $10 million mansion in Malibu. Like they're all trying to make sure there's not violence against them. Like I don't, why didn't they ever say any of these things before, for instance, why all of a sudden they're, they're, they're saying this. So anyway, I, that's just my opinion, but who knows? I do want to give the, um, uh, James, would I, would I vote if there were more parties? Yeah, I would vote if there were more parties. If there was a yeah, party I, I believed in, like there are candidates I like, like we like Eric Adams, who's the Brooklyn Borough president, right. and hopefully he'll like, rise up, but we'll see. Like, I like to vote for the person, not the party. I mean, but then again, it's hard because maybe the person that's in that party that I'm voting for has to do what that party says. So maybe they are limited to what they can do. So maybe you can't really just vote for the that, person anymore. That's the problem is that you're the party. Why do you think Joe Biden won the nominations? Is that the party machine, he fits the party machine for the Democrats and Bernie Sanders didn't. Andrew Yang didn't, yeah. you know, so uh, uh, 
I remember in 1980, uh, I got on paper, there was no internet, I got on paper from the Federal Election Commission, the list of all the candidates running for president or vice president. It was hundreds of pages long. Like everybody could file for president, but nobody could get on the ballot. Hmm. And I called, I was 12 years old, I called every single one of them and I wanted to talk to them. And I remember I talked to this guy, Jim Boring, and he was specifically running for vice president, which is a weird thing to run for. He, he didn't want to, he, I called him and I said, why are you just running for vice president? I was 12 years old. I said, why are you just running for vice president? And he said, uh, cause I don't want to do any work and vice presidents don't have to do any work. So I'm running for vice president. And I'm like, well, what's your campaign model? And he had a very powerful cam campaign model. He said, when in doubt, mumble. Hmm. And I thought that was so funny for a politician to just admit that that's what they do. And of course, wow. Biden mumbles, unfortunately, regardless, but, um, so $10 million idea of the week it's on Friday, every Friday, I will give the $10 million, uh, 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 $10 million idea of the week. Oh, I almost started stuttering again. I was thinking of Joe Biden, but, uh, here's what you should do right now. 40 million people are unemployed, or maybe it's going, getting better now. More millions are going back to their jobs. They were furloughed, but let's just suffice to say, 40 million people lost their jobs. A, a lot of people are going to realize, oh, I shouldn't go back to my corporate job because they had no loyalty to me at all. I'm going to instead be self-employed because then I have at least a little bit more control over my destiny. And, uh, but how do they get, like a lot of people get insurance from their corporate jobs. So how does the self-employed get insurance? So here's an idea, the $10 million idea of the day. And this has been started in the Netherlands, this business model. But what you look, when you're looking for a $10 million business model, you look what worked somewhere else and how can I bring it to the United States? It's a kind of idea sex. It's like what I call idea addition. And so here, here it's called, it's called bread groups. So what happens is you form a group of 50 self-employed people, just like you. And that's a group, a group of 50 entrepreneurs or 50 self-employed people or 50 people doing self side hustles. How do you get in the group? You have to be invited by other people in the group. So, so that builds trust. So if I'm in a group, I would say, Oh, Robin, you should join this group. Also, I trust Robin. Or I would say, Oh, you guys, Evan Weiss, you could join the group. Also, Evan, Robin, me, Victoria, Lisa, you could join Uranzi, You could join our bread group. And what happens is in a bread group is we each donate money per month. Like let's say it's $30, $40, $50, whatever. And there's a small administration fee, like $6, $7, $8. And then if you get unemployed because of sickness, uh, or let's say you lose, you can't go to work. Let's say you have a stroke and you can't, or you have an accident and you're out of work for two months and your job is not willing to pay you. Well, particularly since you're self-employed, you don't, you can't make money the bread group, because it's been accumulating this money from the fees every month, the bread group will pay you a, a, a certain salary every month, like a UBI equivalent, depending on how much you contributed. So in the Netherlands, if you contribute $40 a month, maybe you'll get $1,500 a month uh, for two months as your, um, to, to, to make up for your lost pay in your side hustle. If you contribute 10 times as that, you get, 10 times that per month. So you get to decide. So it's these like insurance. It's exactly like insurance. So it's insurance, but it's in small groups made up of people you trust. So right now, if you pay, I don't even know what an insurance but company you're not is. Gonna, you're not going to have a lingo or something. So it's not going to be like a cult. It'll be exactly like a cult. Actually, it's a, you're going to join the bread group and the more money you pay, the higher up you go. There won't be arcane rituals though, but here's the, here's the, so the benefits of the bread group is for self. Yeah, I want to stop something. We can't have this this on here. Uh, yeah, Victoria, Tina Whitaker is not a terrorist. She's and a I good really, person. I, I, I don't and, like that kind of talk. Yeah, we love her. We love you, Tina. We love you, Victoria. There's no, no fighting, but okay. So with bread groups, uh, uh, you donate a certain amount each month, like insurance and every month, maybe one person will be out of work because they got sick. And the, the group then has the money in place to pay that person. So it works exactly like insurance. And there's other benefits to the bread group though, because it's 50 and because it's a group of trust, because I'm only recommending 
Evan and Victoria could come in the group. You could come in the group. We only you, each person in the group has to be recommended, Tina so you build up trust. Hmm? And Tina. Tina comes into the group as well. So it's a group of trust, and everybody gets their physical examination, so they're healthy in the beginning. And it's a group of trust, but it's not just insurance. It's not like we're all giving money to this mindless insurance company that has billions of people in it. We all know each other. So you could pay a little bit more for networking opportunities. You could pay a little bit more to join the Facebook community. Maybe it's a local group of side hustle people. So you exchange resources in the local mm -hmm. Facebook group. So, so these bread groups are more than just insurance for this, for self-employed or people, for people doing side hustles. They're also opportunities for networking. That's, That's why if it's valuable that I recommend you, you recommend Victoria, and, Victoria and recommends do, Tina, who recommends in a, Evan. In a, it happens in the Netherlands. It hasn't really started in the US. And believe me, right now, with so many tens of millions of people about to be self-employed and trying side hustles, this is a huge, everybody's trying to figure out how do I get insurance? Insurance is too expensive. This is a huge opportunity for people to, here's, there's two opportunities. One is you can form a bread group and, and you can get the benefits of that and, and you can make the administration fees and so on, or you can create an online bread group as a service software where you can um, help other people in every area form bread groups of side hustlers and self-employed people. That's the $10 million idea. If you become the source for which everybody learns about, finds about, and then manages their bread group through you, then that's an enormous, enormous, that's a multi-billion dollar business if you're the only one, but I think it's a big enough area. I mean, insurance is a trillion dollar industry a year. Right. So there's enormous opportunity to form kind of these, um, the bread groups of bread groups or help people organize bread groups. And it's an enormous idea. It's a business model that's proven out and works in the Netherlands. Uh, they've also started doing it. They've just started doing it in the United Kingdom. It's sort of like a chamber of commerce in a way for a- It's a chamber of commerce that gives uh, insurance. Yeah. And so it, it, it's, it's the insurance, it would be a total revolution on the insurance industry. It would bring down insurance prices. It would help people with healthcare. Like if somebody got sick, Oh, don't go to that doctor. Go to this doctor. They're, you know, they're part of, they're affiliated with yeah. the bread group. So, so we cut out all the middlemen, all the- Cut out all the middlemen. I think that's a great idea, actually. Yeah, you do deals with pharmacies. You do deals so with it's doctors. sort of like tribes. Yeah, and again, there's the networking opportunities. Yeah. So you could, the, the networking connects people. And since we all are, it's almost like how, yeah, a tribe would develop. Like a tribe greater than 30 would develop because, oh, Robin knows this person, so I can trust this person. And yeah. so, but it's a bread group with insurance. So yeah. uh, so that's the $10 million idea of the, the week. In previous ones, I've done coronavirus compliance. I forgot which one I did last week. Does anyone remember the $10 million idea from last week? It was a good idea, but I'll have to remember. Yeah. I'll keep track of them on a website. How's yeah. that? Does that sound good? And then maybe a Facebook group that we could all sign up for. Um, so each yes, week- my shirt. Malibu Farms. Malibu Farms, her- ex-sister-in-law started it. It's a great restaurant in Malibu and all the movie stars eat there. So all the ones who are afraid of their houses burning down and then we're in this video. Um, but uh, if, if I was to start a business today and I'm not allowed to use the internet at all, what business would I start? This is by Positive Magic Scientist. So uh, Positive Magic Scientist, here's what I would start. I would buy up, uh, again, remember the other day I said 90% of businesses close when they're they don't get sold and 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 they're profitable 90 percent of profitable growing good businesses when the owner is tired or is ready to retire they just shut down they don't get sold so i would i would basically go to laundromats in every city i would go to the best laundromats and i, I would call my accountant and i would say accountant tell me laundromats that are for sale among your clients and i would go to each one and I would say, I'll make you an offer. How much do you want for your business? Oh, your business makes 100,000 a year profit? I'll offer you 200,000. And they'll say, okay, where's my 200,000? And I'll say, well, hold off. You were gonna shut this down for zero. So how about I pay you, starting in six months, I'll pay you 40,000 a year for five years. So, and the guy will say, you mean no money down? And I'll say, yeah, no money down, but you can go off on vacation and do your thing and, and you could 
you don't have to run your business anymore and I'll pay you 40,000 a year for five years. So no, no money down, but I will buy your business. You will make $200,000. And so I will always pay two times profits. I'll go to laundromats around the country. I will combine them all together and I will increase the profits by getting bulk deals on washing machines, uh, insurance, uh, 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 what, towels, whatever. Uh, back end, I will say back end costs on accounting, legal. And then when I get up to 5 million in income instead of 100,000, instead of selling it for just two times earnings, I'll sell it for 20 times earnings. So that's a huge, that's one way I would start a business if I, if there was no internet. Uh, each, you know, once a week, I will give another type of business I would start if I, if there was no internet or even if there was internet, if I, but I would start if I was 22 years old and had no resources and needed to start a, a, a business because there are many ideas out there that one could do there. That's one simple idea. Uh, uh, you know, another idea, you know, well, I'll, I'll wait for next week to do that. So, uh, there's a minute and a half left. Give us feedback. I'm going to say this is IGTV and I'm going to, and Jay will put this on YouTube today and it'll also go out on the podcast. Tell today we did the hypocrisy of the day. Uh, we did the $10 million business idea we of the week. The we didn't do the BS headline of the day. We'll do that. We'll do two of them on Monday. Um, yesterday's was good enough. I love the cosmopolitan article from yesterday, but give us feedback about what you like. And, you know, we want to be this to be a good service. We want this to be a service where people can help each other and people could get ideas and people could learn more about how to, how to be creative, but also very actionable ideas like this bread group idea for as a $10 million business, this will work. And when I talked about the coronavirus compliance business, that will work hundred percent chance that will work. And it's an easy business to start. When I talked about, Oh, I talked about the other day buying online commerce sites on Flippa. Well, I don't know if Jordan Paris is on here, but he already bought his first two websites. I couldn't believe it. he told me the story. I'm going to have him on here to tell the story himself, but he is going to kill it. Like he showed me the sites and what he paid. He is going to absolutely kill it. He's going to build. He just graduated college a few days ago and he's going to build his first $10 million business within the next year. And he's already started. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.